This interview is brought to you by the Canadian Brew House. I go to the Canadian Brew House all the time to watch my favorite sports because of the atmosphere. With the amount of TVs around, it's impossible to miss a second. The Brew House is also the place that I go to on my cheat days. With the flavor of their poutine and burgers, it's always a reward. This interview is brought to you by Campbell and Halliburton Insurance. The insurance company that my dad has gone to since he moved to Regina, way before I was born. He has always found the staff to be friendly and helpful, and he loves that he's able to renew his plates online. Campbell and Halliburton just introduced Easy Quote. You take a picture of your policy and send it to 306-570-EASY, and they'll send you back a quote. My goal is to figure out the tips and tricks of professional football players and also give you a glimpse into their personal and professional lives. In this episode, I talk to Baron Miles, the current defensive back coach for the Montreal Alouettes. I first met Baron in a camp in Moose Jaw. I went to where I told him if he did an interview with me, I would give him one of my Winston 101 t-shirts, and it was worth it. His stories were inspiring. He talked about how he used dyslexia as an advantage in football the struggles of living in New Jersey with a single mum, and how getting injured and cut from the Steelers, he was actually grateful for in the end, as it allowed him to visit his wife and child in the hospital. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did. But without further ado, I hope you enjoy. Hey, Baron, I'm glad we got a chance to sit down and chat. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. No problem. We met this winter when you were a guest coach with Kahari Jones at an indoor football camp that I attended, and he introduced us. You were jealous of Kahari's Winston one-on-one t-shirt, so I said that in order to get a t-shirt, uh, you'll have to do an interview with me. I think I'm getting the better deal. <laughs> nah, it would be a pleasure. I mean, I'll, you know, you want a free gift every now and then. If I got to do an interview, um, Kahari thinks you're a great guy, so... Uh, I could do the interview. It's okay. You have a son and two daughters. What does your family think about football? Um, I'm actually it's a football family, and I have two daughters and a son. I have an older daughter that you're probably missing out. I have an older daughter that's 22. Um, my son is in the middle, 16, and I have a younger daughter at 15. Um, but they grew up in football, and it's um. It's been a part of their life since they was born, um, and they 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 can't live without it. They understand the the hardship and the the pain and the misery, and as well as the championships. So um, it's a football family, and they understand the grueling pain that it takes to do it. What are some of their other interests? Um, other interests are um, acting, modeling. Um, get into the entertainment uh, business, um, like core sports, far as football, basketball, track, and lacrosse, volleyball. Um, but the biggest thing is um, my son loves uh, architect, like drawing and things like that and putting buildings together where they should be 
as well as the a business side of football as well. My son, he loves to do uh, be an equipment manager. He did that majority of his youth as um, far as taking care of the equipment, picking equipment up, the laundry, the hard hours that they have to do. But uh, that's, that's their interest. But it's surrounded by sports because it drives hard work and compassion for others. And you have to be able to work with others. So I love the fact that they're involved in sports. So your kids are just like Kahari's. Uh, they're interested in sports and other things, which is really good. Yes, I agree. I agree. That's why they're pretty good friends, and they FaceTime about every day. So that's pretty cool. My dad told me that it's easier to play than to watch me play. Do you find that's, that that is the same way with your kids? I would say 100% because I think it's more nerve-wracking for me sitting there watching my kids and the pressure that's on them and me understanding what's coming and they don't quite understand it yet. So it, it is tough. Uh, it's easy to just go out and be a kid and play and just do your thing. But um, for me to watch and do all that and watch my kids, you want success, but they got to work for it at the same time. So, yeah, I agree with them 100%. With your family, what makes you most proud? With my family, just that that one that we are family that we're we're together it's all about us we've been we're from the US and the fact that we was up in Canada for so long and we ha- we had to lean on each other that was that's the main thing if it's not if we don't have us then we don't have anything so i our family is is a, it we depend on each other to to survive how old were you when you set the goal to become a professional football player? Uh, I was very young. I, I think I probably was fifth or sixth grade. Fifth or sixth grade, I, I knew then that, okay, I want to play professional football. What do I got to do? Um, how do I got to go about it? How hard is it? And I knew at that point that I, I could play the game. And it came easy to me, and I just had to figure out and put myself around people to uh, point me in the right direction. How did you get into football? Well, my oldest, my second oldest brother, um, I have three older brothers. My second oldest brother, he started, he came home one day with some pads and a helmet, and he was like, what's that? He said, yeah, I'm playing football. And it was a little Pop Warner football, and he, uh, he said, yeah, I'm playing football. And so we went to his games, and I was like, man, I want to play that game. I was just too small and too and too young to play. And then when I got of age, I still couldn't play because my mom wouldn't let me play, and I wasn't heavy enough. So uh, my brothers knocked me out of the house one day, took me to the weigh-in, put weights in my pocket so I could make weight, and never told my mom until they brought they brought it to a game and she saw me on the field playing and saw how good I did and so the rest was history after that. So it stuck me on the field. When did you realize that playing professionally would be a reality? Um when when the Pittsburgh Steelers called me at my house in New Jersey and drafted me in the sixth round. And they said, we're going to take you with this pick in the sixth round. And Bill Cower, I was talking to him on the phone. And 
at that point, I was like, I did it. All right, I'm in it. I'm in the door. And believe it or not, that same, like, probably 30 minutes afterwards, that conversation, I went outside and played a pickup game of football with my friends. And I was that excited that I was a professional athlete starting the role anyway to become a professional athlete. And it was a thrilling moment for me. Were there any roadblocks or challenges along the way? Oh, it was tons of roadblocks, tons of challenges. Um, to pick one, I mean, height, my weight, speed, I wasn't athletic enough. I wasn't, I don't know. I, I have so many, but I don't think, to me, they was challenges, yes, but I used them to build my strength, to build my anger, to build my grit, to build my foundation, to say, just because someone said you can't do something because of this, that didn't stop me from pursuing it. I said, if I fail pursuing it and I gave it my all, there's nothing else. I, I can't hold my, my head down. I can't be ashamed of what I tried to accomplish. I went for it, and I just didn't make it. But those roadblocks, they came every day in the classroom. They came, shoot, being black. They, they came, and it's just how you deal with it. And for some, I'm lucky that I did it because I grew up with a single mom. So I didn't have that father figure to sit there and say this is right or this is wrong. I had a mom. I had an aunt. I had my grandfather. I had my coaches. I had a lot of parents around me pointing me in the right direction. And I just stayed on the right path. Life can be about setbacks, and being successful often requires working through hard times. You weren't resigned by the Montreal Alouettes, how did you not take it personally? Um, it, it's a business. I, I, uh, Tracy Ham. I, he was in Montreal with me for a couple years, and I got to talk with him. And he first thing he said was, "Learn the business. Learn what it what it's like to run a team. Once once you learn that, everything else will come easy." And you know, at first, young kid, I'm like, "Ah, okay, whatever." And then as I started to watch and understand what was happening, the ratio, how many players you need, how many American players you need, and I started to pick up on it. And it came easy, but I just had to grow and learn. Once I learned, I learned the business and understood things that happened, when those decisions come, I look at it from a general manager's point of view. I look at it from a coach's point of view. I'm still a player, and I just looked at it, and I just said, all right, what would I have done? He's an older player, a little slower, not making the plays as he used to. Okay, maybe we need to move him right now so we can get something for him. Or if that doesn't happen, but we just need to move on with another player. I, I didn't take it personal long as you told me up front. And you didn't lie to me. You just said straight out, hey, man, I think we're going to go in a different direction. You know, it's just, I think it's just time to, to do that. I, I can't be mad at you. At the time, yeah, I may be mad and upset that I'm no longer playing with the Alouette. But I understand it, and I understood it. 
So it wasn't it wasn't that hard for me to, to not take it personal. I didn't have to. But when you lie and you say, hey, he has aging knees or he's too slow or he's this or he's, you know, if you just flat out lie saying I can't just flat out play, I have, then, I, then it becomes more personal because you're attacking me trying not to let me further my career. You just say, hey, we're moving on from him and that's it. Then, all right, the chips are far where they made. It's not personal. But when you make, when the, the, the business side of it makes it personal, then that's when, that's when I have a hard time with it. You've also had friends and family that have had health challenges. How did that impact you? It's, it's tough. It's tough. Luckily, at a young age, um, growing up in New Jersey, I had to I had to compartmentalize a lot of different things. I had to set myself apart from different things and saying, "All right, that's football, and this is my home life." And I was able to do that at a young age, and didn't bring it home with me, didn't carry it over, didn't carry it to the field. So. Um, some of my young high school coaches, um, they started that. They said, I'm going to curse you out on the football field. I'm going to scream and yell. But on the weekend when we go hang out and go fishing and all that stuff, I'm your buddy. I'm going to love you like there's no other. And don't carry it off the field. And from that point on, I, it just stuck with me. And well, my wife has health issues. My kids health issues. I've learned to do that. It is tough. It stays back there, but I've learned to compartmentalize it and separate it that way. How has that impacted your appreciation for life? A big deal. You cherish every moment, live every moment, stay in the moment. I think um, a lot of people, I'm a big kid, and I enjoy life. Sometimes I enjoy it too much, and I need to be a little bit more serious, but... I enjoy life. I enjoy hanging out with my kids. I enjoy hanging out with their friends. And if not, you know, they have rules. They understand the, the guidelines. They understand what they need to do. But at the same time, I enjoy being around them. It's not, you know, so strict or so uptight that they're walking on eggshells and things like that. They enjoy it. And I enjoy being around, being around my family. Football and CFL fans are very passionate. Can you t- tell me about the craziest or cutest fan moment? Um, <laughs> well, the the CFL fan moment, I think um, it's a lady, when I was playing in uh, Saskatchewan, actually, I was, I was not playing in, I was playing against Saskatchewan, and um, it was a lady that sits in the front row at, at every game, and... Every time, right before, right in front of the visitors' locker room, like right in that front row seat, um, and every time I came off, she would speak to me. She would say hello, and then you know, as I kept playing and coming back, because I all had pretty good games against Regina, um, and she was like, "Dan, don't do anything today." And those, that, those are memories. Like every game, I look forward to seeing her because that was our connection. Like we would get there, I didn't know her. She didn't know me. She just knew Darren, the player. I just knew her as a fan. But at the same time, it was it was a great moment because you don't get that too often. That was a connection. She's on the other team cheering against me. But at the same time, she respected what I did as a player. 
and as an athlete, and I can respect that a whole lot. It was, it was enjoyable. It's always really important to have connections with the fans. Exactly. I agree, 100%. Do you set goals now? Yes, I set goals. Um, I set goals every day I wake up because it's a challenge. Again, I live in the moment. I live now, and I can't let it pass. But, yes, I set goals, and being an older gentleman, I I still set them. It's fun. I enjoy it, but... uh, it's tough. It's tough to, to set them. And then, especially me being an athlete, high-level athlete, that I love challenging myself and realizing that my bones don't move as they used to, my legs and feet and arms. My Mentally, I move that way and think I should be moving. But my son and daughter and them say, Dad, uh, that's not a good look for you. So just sit down. What are some of the goals that you've set for yourself lately? Um, lately is, is, uh, becoming a head coach, general manager. That's, uh, that's one of my, my goals. Um, big goals is to become a head coach one day and to be a general manager. Obviously I haven't learned how to be that yet. So I'm just trying to be the best assistant coach right now to put me in position to become a better head coach and a general manager. What are the critical skills that a defensive back must have to be successful and why are they important? Um, ball skill. Um, it's critical to have ball skills as a defensive back. Um, some people would differ, which they have their opinion and it's great. But, um, a DB that can run, tackle, and align himself in the right position will always lose his job if he can't play the ball. He would have it for a couple of years and maybe be a starter and probably be more or less a backup because he's consistent, consistently in the right spot. But if that person does not have ball skills and be able to attack the ball, be able to get the ball, he won't have a job for a long period of time. Or he'll have a job, but he won't be a main starter. And it's a proven fact. You watch around the league, you watch around the NFL, you watch around the CFL, the DB that makes the most plays, it's the one that everybody's talking about. When they make a play on the ball, Danny, this year, phenomenal ball skills, attacking the ball. But before that, you haven't didn't really care about him. Same player, same thing. What happened? The fact that he went and got, got the ball made him a high priority this year. What can you do to improve your ball skills? Um, Really, it's everyday everyday life to help you. Just understanding awareness, peripheral vision, having the ability to say, okay, I need to read. It's a bunch of things that go into it. It's understanding body position, understanding the receiver's body, understanding movement, understanding where the ball trajectory should be, and having the ability to turn and have balance with yourself and be able to steal eye-hand coordination and snatch the ball. So all those things have to fall in line. And you have to work it every day. It has to be a thought process every single day when you wake up. That's the way I need to move. That's the way I need to react. And obviously people don't do it every day because that's not their thought process. Their thought process is I don't want to get beat. You're going to get beat no matter what because the the football field is 65 yards wide. So it's, it's, it's 
going to be hard to stop somebody every single time. So when you're recruiting a player, how do you assess that the player has those skills? Um, body movement, um, just movements of catching the ball. Is he struggling? Does it come natural? Is he forcing it? Everyone says they can catch. Everyone can say that thing, say those things. But um, I, I move them. I get them to move and catch the ball, and everything's a little bit different when you're moving and running. Um, mechanics don't work as quite as you thought they was. When you're standing there, you can catch the ball all day. But once you start moving and catching the ball at the last second, those things come into play with the player. What type of player they are. Do they have good vision? Do they need glasses, contacts, whatever? All those things come into play. Just talking to them. If you talk to them long enough, they're telling themselves. And those are the things I look for. Just, just in my opinion, those are my my rules. So I look for I look for guys like that, and I just talk to them. I talk to them, staying in here, and pretty soon they're telling themselves, of, oh, "I used to be a running back. I, catch, I used to catch." Uh, when I was in college, so what happened now? Now you know they don't have confidence in their hands. So that's the that's the big ticket, the confidence. As a kid, when you were playing football on the pl- playground, who would you pretend to be and why? I was pretending to be Marcus Allen um, because he was a multi-sport athlete. He played multiple positions. He was he was good. Marcus Allen back then was very good. Um, that was like as a running back, as an athlete. But then when I went to receiver, I was Kevin Winslow because he can catch over anybody. And I love pretend like I can jump over everybody, catch the ball and things like that. So it was pretty cool that way. Um, but Marcus Allen was my favorite and my top one I'm normally playing as. And when I go to receiver, I'm, I'm normally Kevin Winslow. What other sports did you play as a kid? Um, I played uh, football, obviously. I ran track. I played basketball. I stopped playing basketball in the 10th grade. But uh, I went to indoor track, so I ended up playing football and track. But any sport, obviously, without sounding cocky, everybody else would say I sound cocky, but I could play about any sport that I try to play. And I'm like an addict with it. Because if I can't play it, I'm going to play it until I can play it. And, for example, that was uh, uh, squash. Never played squash before in my life until I went to Montreal. And the owner, I played it with the owner, and he said, you have no idea what you're doing. I'm never playing you again. I practiced every day in that offseason. And then I challenged him again, and I beat him. And he was like, wow. He said, okay. And they actually put me and Anthony Cavill, we played in a double tournament at the uh, at the, their uh, sports complex. And we actually won it. So though that, to me, I feel I was that good of an athlete that I could play any sport I wanted to put my mind to. That's why I never put on hockey skates. I would never skate because I can't skate. And I can't play hockey. So if I get on the ice and look bad, I'm going to have to stay on the ice until I learn how to skate and learn how to play hockey. And I don't want to do that. I don't like the cold that much. 
How did the things that you've learned from squash and basketball and all the sports that you've played transitioned into football? Because I, I treat it all as the same. I look at all the sports that I play, it's all relatable. Understanding body movement, understanding the quick twitch, me being first, the first guy to react and not react, me understanding the game, okay, where should I be, my positioning, I use them all as the same. I treat it all exactly the same. Defensively, when I play basketball, all I'm going for is steal. You talk about how do you teach a guy to, to have ball skills and things like that. I'm playing in the passing lane in basketball. I can care less if you make me look bad. I'm going for steal. I'm a football player. I'm just trying to get a steal. And I use it. And it just so happened I was pretty good at it, and I was quick, and I could jump. It just all added up together. I couldn't shoot. I, I shoot now as I'm older, but defense-wise, I could move and play and do those things, and it was it was quite uh, remarkable. But I used everything. Everything I I I played. I just took something, some little bits and pieces away from it to uh, to make it work for the, the sport I'm playing. In my first year of tackle football, the coach put his son in at quarterback without any tryouts, so I played linebacker. I was disappointed at the time, but what I realize now is it's taught me to understand defense and and has made me a better quarterback. Can you tell me about a time when something didn't work out for you and you were disappointed at the time, but now you're grateful it turned out that way? When I got injured. My first year in Pittsburgh, I got injured, and um, maybe it doesn't relate to your question, but it was hurtful at the time that um, I tore my ACL in my first preseason game. Um, first year drafted, my, my rookie, our first game playing uh, Buffalo Bills, and I was with Pittsburgh Steelers, and I was on the field with all these all-pro guys for the first time, and it's me. And we ended up scoring on defense, picking our ball off, and the next play I tore my ACL, um, running down, picking up a fumble, and my teammate went for the ball and hit my leg, and I tore my ACL. And it was miserable. But behind the scenes, my wife went into labor, had to be life-flighted um, from my home, and my firstborn child and my wife almost died but I got injured so at the time I was terrified but they let me go home I flew home to be with my wife and daughter who was in the hospital at the time I was like my career is over everything's done behind the scenes I was about to lose my wife and my first daughter I got to be spend that time with them, and I, I wouldn't change it for the world. It was the reason why I hurt my leg, so I was able to go home and spend that time with them. And it, it was a wonderful time. Obviously, they both survived, and it was a time, obviously, someone knew that we needed to be together. So I could take it. Well, I'm glad that worked out for you. How have you learned from that injury? Um, I, I've learned from that injury, um, like anything else, I had to overcome it. I had to heal myself. I had to push through the pain, the agony, the fact that 
my wife and my daughter was life-flighted, and they struggled, and they fought to come stay in the world, an injury like this couldn't hold me back. So I had to continue, and it gave me 12, 13 years of football after that injury. So I, I think I did a pretty good job with it. If you could put a message on a fortune cookie, what would it say? Um, be yourself. Be yourself. Be, be who you want to be. And if you if you you who you are, no one could change you, and everyone could respect you for being who you are. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've had to like really apply this? Um. Yes. All the time. When, especially now that I'm coaching. I'm coaching different personalities, different walks of life, and different athletes. And every day when they come into that classroom and they see me and they hear me, they know, okay, that's coach. No matter what I say, how I say it, how am I getting on them, how I'm not getting on them, how I'm not praising them, I am praising them, they know that's coach. Coach is always going to be that way. He's going to be tough. He's going to be fair. He's going to tell you what's right. He's going to tell you what's wrong. But he's going to always be the same. And that's what I try to do and and try to say to the guys every single day in my life is I'm going to always be the same guy. I'm going to always treat you the same way. This is how I'm going to come at you. This is how I'm going to respect you. This is how I expect to get respect. And they can live with it. And that's how I apply it. I make sure I'm the same way every single time. You hold the record for most block kicks. What's your secret? <laughs> um, actually, believe it or not, my secret is don't be afraid to hit the kicker. Every time I went for the ball, I was never afraid to actually hit the kicker. Where most coaches, they put the pressure on don't hit the kicker instead of blocking the kick. So my my theory was, I'm I know I'm going to get the ball, so don't be don't worry about hitting the kicker, and that's what put me there. I wanted to do it one, and I wasn't afraid to hit the kicker. So how did you develop that mindset so that you weren't scared? Growing up in New Jersey, you had to fight for every little thing, and I wasn't that big, so the fight was grew there where. I knew I could do something, but someone always told me I couldn't do it. So I always had to prove myself that way. But um, to block a kick, I just had a knack for making that play. I knew I could do it, and I always try to put myself in the right spot to get the job done, and I was just able to do it. How did you apply that to your life in general? Um, In general, shoot. When uh, obstacles come, you, you still got to fight through them. There's going to be things that come up that people say you can't do in life or I need to get a job or my kids are having trouble with something, certain things. My wife are in trouble with certain things. And you still got to fight through it. I can't pay my light bill, can't pay my car note. I got to find a way to get it done. And that that's part of life. That's why I love sports because – it helps you in everyday life that way as well. And being a people's person, I needed I need teammates to play on the football field 
I need guys to set up my blocks to block those kicks. And in life, you need to be able to communicate and talk to people to, to get things done. If you can't go in there and speak to them and talk to them the proper way, you're not going to get anything accomplished. And I think that's how that helped me in my everyday life. I have two rituals that I do before a game. I hold mementos in my hand, one at a time, and visualize the passes that I'm going to make in the game. And on the way to the game, I crank up Bon Jovi's Blood on Blood. It's a song about friends that are like brothers, which is how I feel with my teammates. Do you have a ritual that you do before a game? Uh, it's crazy, but uh, my ritual I do before the game is um, we go probably about three, maybe three and a half hours earlier, four, four hours earlier to the game. We stop by Wendy's, I get a Baconator, and the family get a Baconator or whatever, and we drive to the game, and I do my normal warm-up before everybody even gets to the stadium. I do a normal warm-up, and that's pretty much it. I do a warm-up before everybody gets there because your friends come and they want to talk to you. You should be stretching and warming up where I already have my warm-up done. I have my stretching out of the way. I'm ready to go for the game. I'm just relaxing before everybody else is getting there, and I'm ready to play. So that's my normal ritual, but no one could really believe that I go to Wendy's before the game and I would eat a sandwich. How has your ritual changed between being a coach and being a player? Well, being a coach... I'm not as active I was as a player, so I'm not going to go to Wendy's and eat the burgers because my won't go out, won't fall off me as fast as a player. But as a coach, I'm not really playing, and I don't need to get there that early for the game because I don't have to run down the field and take those hits anymore. But uh, it's just funny um, how it does change a little bit because you're not actually playing the game. I'm mentally playing the game. And now I can be more laid back, more cautious. Got to show the guys that, hey, I'm not panicking. I'm under control. Let's relax. Let's enjoy what we're doing. We spent all week um, preparing and scrambling, trying to make sure we got the proper game plan. So there's no need to panic now. Just relax and play the game. That's what I try to show them. What sort of stretching do you do? I do dynamic stretch. I do... um, I make sure my hip flexors are all stretched out. My hamstrings are ready to go. Um, what I really try to do through the whole stretch is I want to get the first wave of tiredness out. I want to be able to say, I want to be able to run and feel tired because normally when you do start to warm up and, and try to get the aches and pains out, you feel tired. So I want to get that out of the way so I catch my second wind and I'm ready to go for the game. That's what I try to do. It's, you know, dynamic stretches, uh, knee, high knees, little movement stretches. Just trying to get my hips and my quads all warmed up and ready to go because it's going to be a lot of pounding in, a, in that whole hour. Why do you believe it's important to have a ritual? I don't, I don't think it's belief. I just think it's, it's comfort. It's something that you do every single time. It puts you in the proper mood. It puts you in the proper space to play the game that you love to perform at a high level. 
that you possibly could play. I don't I don't think people necessarily need it. I just think it's something that you do and you're comfortable with and it happen to you happen to do it every single time you're about to play a game or a play. And, you know, they happen to be called a ritual and that's where it came from, I believe. It's just something that you do and I played well doing that, so I'm gonna do it again for the next game and let's see how it goes. Over the years, I've had some good and some not-so-good coaches. Who's been the best coach that you've ever had? Ah, my best coach. Actually, it'll be my wife. You know, um, she coaches me a lot when I get home, and um, she does a good job. But besides my wife, good coaches, um, I would probably say I have a lot of them, but they all do different things. So it's kind of hard to say. But as far as like a, a player, ah, it's tough. Um, Gene Gaines, um, Greg Butler, um, the biggest one, he was like a guest coach at the time. It was Les Brown. And Les Brown, he showed me different things because he used to play and he was a former player. And he would say, yeah, that's a good spot. Once you understand the game, you'll be able to make the play. So he was telling me things like that instead of just telling me the play. Okay, you're a deep third player. This is where you're supposed to line up. This is how you get there. But no one really told me that, all right, within this area, these guys are going to go away, and this is the play you're going to be able to make. Les Brown was the guy that, hey, broke that down to me and said it in that way. And that, that was kind of cool. And that's what I take now and I try to do to the, to the guys that I'm coaching is not only show them, have them understand the play, but within the play, how do they make the play? Outside of football, how have they affected your life? They taught the game, they respected the game, and they respected life. And they just, you know, how they treated me within the game of football, they treated me the same outside of football. So that just showed me that if you're a good, decent person, you're a good, decent person. And if you're an egghead or butthead in football, you're probably going to be the same thing out. And some some are, some not. But um, those guys showed me that, you know, your family's first. Take care of your family. Take care of your lifestyle. Um and you can go a long way, and I try to do that. Yeah, it's always important to have good coaches, and then when you have those bad coaches, you learn from them. You do learn from the bad ones as well. You're right. You're absolutely right. I've had some coaches that belittled us and have made us feel down, and I've even had a coach that hit us. What would you recommend? Like, how do you deal with that situation? Um, I... I... I surround myself with guys that that are going to build me up afterwards. So even though a coach is belittling you, um, he's trying to teach you a lesson at the same time, but he just may not know how to do it the way it helps you. And everybody's different. So when that, whoever, whatever friend you have, whatever comes up to you afterwards and say, hey, man, it's going to be okay, just make sure when that happens again, when the coach comes and try to belittle you or whatever, just make sure the guys that you're surrounding yourself with afterwards 
are there that's going to help build you back up. And that's the biggest thing is making sure your support cast is guys that's, that's going to make you feel better and not add on to, to the problem or help solve, solve the solution. Because at that point, you know you messed up. You know you did the wrong thing. Now you need to understand why you messed up and how you can fix it and make sure you just surround yourself with guys or your teammates that are going to help you figure out that scenario, especially when things like that happen, because it does happen all the time. You've had bad coaches, and how have you took what you learned from them into your coaching now? What have you took from them? Um, I took that um, patience is key. I have to understand patience. Also, have to understand that um, if I have a six-two corner uh, coach and he's teaching me to play DB, he's teaching me his style of playing DB. So everything I do at five ten is not going to be to what he likes, um, and the way I move is not going to be the way the way he likes because of he's a taller guy, and it, it all depends on your coach and the style of DB that they were, they tend to teach it, and vice versa. So as a, as, a, as a former player and guys coaching me, and it wasn't to my skill set, I had to adapt and say, okay, I take what he did, I did it in practice, but when I got in the game, I made sure I played comfortable and did my job. And I made sure I completed the job and I did it to the best of my ability. It may not have been what he taught me, but I still was doing my job. So now I take that same thing and say, hey, I have a 6-2 corner. I can't teach him like me. I have to understand that he's going to move a little bit different, and I got to realize I gotta realize that. So I, I already take it in advance and say, hey, look, you're going to have to do it a little bit different. This is how I like it done, but you're going to have to change it up because – you're not going to move that way. And that's what I take from it. Um, I make sure I stay ahead of you instead of just teaching, 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 and everybody's not the exact same. So I'm going to have this comfort there, and guys, I feel comfortable to play the game, and you want everybody comfortable. You were a player that became a coach. What do you think the benefits are of following that route? Um, the fact that I've been through majority of the scenarios that you guys are going to, the guys that I'm coaching, I've been through their scenarios. I've been through a guy fast as I don't know what running downhill at you, and you got to stay there, and I'm telling you to jam them. And the guy, the DB runs out of there. And the coach that never been in that situation is going to scream and yell at him. And I'm going to go, well, coach, he is running your natural instinct is to get ready to run too. And so I take that as a former player and go turn to a coach and that's my benefit. I, I've been in their shoes. I walked on that grass. I tied up my cleats. I know what it's like in that locker room. In certain situations, I know shut up and don't say anything to them because they're going through a moment. So I leave them alone. And that's my benefit as a player. And I take it into coaching that some coaches that never played, they won't get that. When you draw up X's and O's on a chalkboard and you sit there and go, that, that, 
that may work, but on the chalkboard it's going to look good and it sounds good. But when we get out there, it it doesn't look the same. So knowing that beforehand helps me tremendously and gives me an advantage, really. As long as I'm able to communicate it, as long as I'm able to take the X's and O's on the board and translate them to the field, translate them to the classroom, translate it to the player, if I could do all that, then I'll be, I'll be better off. If you weren't a coach, what do you think you'd be doing now? Um, honestly, I'll be coaching. I, this is what I wanted to do. This is, that's the difference. I, I didn't have a backup plan. I didn't have a fallback. I, I wanted to play football and I wanted to coach. That I was going to put myself in some scenario to where I was able to do this job. And fortunately enough, I did that and I'm with it. I, I don't know. I don't know what else I would be doing. I wanted to coach high school football for the longest, and I still do. And I just know that coaching is in me. Train kids how to run, how to stay fit, how to be active, how to have build confidence. And that, that's something I wanted to do. I wanted to give back to the youth because so many people gave back to me. I wanted to do something in that field. So You're living the dream. I, I am living the dream, exactly. I love football. Last year, I used my own money to hire a personal trainer to teach me how to run properly and develop a cardio and strength workout to increase my fitness for football. I constantly watch plays on my iPad instead of playing games, and my love of football is why I started this podcast. I dream about playing professionally. Can you take me back to the time when you made the decision to retire? Ah, to retire? Um... It was almost, eh, it was tough because I always said I'm going to stop playing when I be when I grow up. As um, football, you need to be a kid. You need to understand you're running around. You need to enjoy it. And and you always look at kids on the playground. They, they don't care if it's raining. They don't care if it's snowing. They don't have a jacket on. They just out there running around playing. Nothing mattered to them. And that's the way I played football. I loved football with a passion. I could play it day, noon, and night. It didn't matter to me. And I said, once I lose that passion to, to prepare in the off season, to go through practices, I was going to retire. And I think one day, it was the off season, and I think my alma mater called Nebraska, and they were interviewing coaches, the coach. And then I was interested. I was like, hey, you know what? I will retire if I get this job. And at that point, I was like, hey, I think I'm almost done playing football because I'm about to leave football to go coach. And that never happened. And I was like, okay. So at that point, I knew I was coming towards the end of my career of playing because it was okay for me to say, you know what, I can hang my cleats up and I can go coach now. And I didn't get the job at Nebraska. I ended up playing another year for BC. And then that following year, I ended up retiring in in 09 and going to coach. So I knew if I didn't retire that year, I was going to retire the following year because 
I was ready to give it up. It was okay. And I felt good with it. Greatness often comes from being different than the crowd. Is there anything that you do or think that other people don't agree with or goes against current teachings? Uh, I, I, it's hard because you, you, you can't judge greatness. greatness. Greatness happens. You can't teach it. You can't see it. You, 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 you can see it, but you just don't understand it. And greatness to me is it, with you day and night. It doesn't just show up. It's with you day and night. You live it. You breathe it. And it's always on. And people don't understand it and say, you need to relax. Take a break. It's not that serious yet, but it is. Because that's the way you prepare. That's the way you stay ahead. That's the way you do things. Um, the current teachers, I don't even know what the current teachings are, to be honest. I, I, I preach to my kids, when you're sleeping, you should be thinking I'm great. I said, you can't wait till you wake up to think that you're great. When you're sleeping, you should be saying, I'm great. And that's when it starts, when you're sleeping. Because once you wake up, you're either going to be doing it or it's going to pass you by and you're going to say, ah, oh, I missed the opportunity. That's what happens. If you could talk to your teenage self, is there anything that you would tell yourself to make you a better coach now? Um... I, I, I'm still learning. I'm, I don't know because I don't know everything. As a coach, I still don't know everything. I don't. I never knew everything as a player. I don't think I would ever know everything as a coach. I'm willing to learn. I'm open. Um, me and my daughter talked about this yesterday. And I want to be an empty cup. I never want to go into something as a full cup because I can't learn anymore. I want to be empty so you can still put something in the cup. And I'm always open to different things because there's different ways to play the game of football. It's still the same thing. I got to run, tackle, and be aggressive. I still got to do those things. But there's different ways and ways of teaching, ways of learning um, to show people. And I may not I have the right answer all the single time. So I'm open to different things. So I'm constantly learning. I would say I would just be more open to different scenarios and 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 ready to change if I need to. You've won four great cups, two as a player and two as a coach. Which one was your favorite? <laughs> um, my favorite, shoot. I think... Um, it was nice as a coach winning in Saskatchewan. That was a nice feeling. Um, I got to go back to 11, 2011 in BC. Again, I was coaching. And I guess it was the home game. Um, Saskatchewan was a home game, great cup game. And then BC was a home game, great cup game. And the crowd noise and the fans and everything, it was great. Um, both of them were similar because we went on a streak where we were like 0-6 in D.C. and came back and went on a hot streak and won. And then in Saskatchewan, it was similar. 
we took a little spell, and then we hosted um, a, a playoff game, beat BC, went to Calgary, beat them, and came back home to play in the Grey Cup. So I would say uh, it's tough. I would say those two games, just because especially I like Saskatchewan because it was crazy that night. Um, I would say Saskatchewan. It, it was a great feeling, and it was nice. Plus, that was Kahari's first Grey Cup. And I really was happy for him about that. So that was cool. How is it different to win as a player than to win as a coach? Um, as a player, it's your blood, sweat, and physicalness. Um, as a coach, it's the mental strain. It's the prep. Um, you're just breaking down thousands, thousands of hours of film. And just to watch it pay off, watch the game unfold to the way you thought it was going to unfold and call the right plays when it's time to call them. The, that's, that's the joy in, in coaching I, that most coaches, you know, get their thrive, thrive from just because they're coaching the guys, the guys are taking what they're coaching, and the game plan is on point and everything's falling in place, and you're just watching yourself win the Grey Cup, that's gratifying because you don't step on the field. And when you don't step on the field, anything can happen, and you're just hoping the guys follow through with the game plan. And when it does happen, it's a great thing. It's a great thing. Do you like playing or coaching better? I love playing because, again, exactly what I just said is, as a player, the coach can tell me anything. And if I see the play and diagnose the play, I'm able to change and go make the play. Where if I'm on the sideline, I can't do that. I can't. They changed it. Here come the play's coming this way. I can't do anything. As a player, I can do everything in my power to have the result in the way I want it to end. So I like being a player better. Based on your career achievements, it's only a matter of time before you get inducted into the CFL Hall of Fame. What will that mean to you? It will mean a it will mean tremendous a lot. It it will be, you know, a job well done. It'd be something that I set out to do um, when I was coming up to CFL. Say I want to be considered one of the best DBs to play the game. I want to be talked about. Um, when they bring up defensive backs in the CFL, I want my name to come up. And in order to do that, I had to put in the work. I had to grind. I had to make sure everything I did on and off the field was the right way, the correct way. And if it happens, then I did my part and it paid off for me. And, I, I, you know, I can thank a lot of people for that. And my family, they supported me tenfold, and they allowed me to be able to put myself in that situation. So it would mean a whole lot, and it would mean a whole lot to my family as well. Do you have any particular stories about uh, a grind that you've made that was, like, a really tough time? Um, when, I, <laughs> when I tore my rotator cuff uh, due to an injury, um, I caught an interception, landed, um, I was stumbling, and the offensive lineman fell on top of me. 
and I tore my rotator cuff because my arm popped out the back. And they said I was done. They said it tore so bad that if I moved after the surgery, if I move a little bit and it tears a bit, you would never play again. And so I sat in the basement away from my family, away from everybody for about a week, week and a half by myself. My wife would bring me some food, but I didn't move. I made sure my arm didn't move, but I sat there in pain. And then um, rehab started. Soon I was able to move it. I was back rehabbing it. And it. I pushed it to the limit. I had my trainer get up early in the morning with me before the players come in to do my rehab. So I'm out of the way. And then I'd go do my training again afterwards. And before that season was over with, I was back practicing with a torn rotator cuff. I was back practicing at the end of the season for the playoffs. But I wasn't able to play. I didn't play that year. That was 2011. I didn't play the whole season, but I was back practicing. So I made sure I wanted to have a normal off season. But that, that's what I would do. I would do what people don't would, wouldn't see me doing, but I'm working early in the morning, late in the evening and I'm working and I don't need to tell anybody what I'm doing. I just, I go to work and I want to make sure I'm prepared and ready to play when it's time. When people don't expect me to be ready, I'm ready. And, and that's one of the times that I, I was putting in a lot of work and my trainer, Rodney Sassy in Montreal, I thank him for that because he got up early in the morning and he didn't have to be there. He could have waited for regular training time, but he got up with me, and I was consistent. I got up every single day, made sure I was there for him, and he took me through my rituals, and um, I thank him for that. A friend of mine is really smart, and he has dyslexia, which a lot of people don't understand. I read an article talking about how you have dyslexia, and you used it to your advantage in football. Could you explain this a bit more to me? Um. Well, for me... I, I tend to, I can see things. Uh, I'm a visual, uh, it's more visual. I can hear you speaking a play. The coaches will tell me to play, and before they're done, I dissected the play, I visually saw it, I know the flaws, I know what's, what's going to give me troubles, and everything in football or sports or some kind of sports activity those things come to me naturally. I couldn't tell you how. I couldn't tell you why. It just does. And I want to say being dyslexic and seeing things like that helped me. And when I'm in my classroom and it's the same thing, I'm hearing so many noises and pictures are popping in my head that I've learned to adapt and, and use it to my benefit growing up not knowing what I had, and I just thought I was going crazy. But just noise and other noise when you're trying to read or you're trying to you listen to the teacher and outside noise is coming in, you tend to pick up different things. It's hard to concentrate. So that's why it just like to give people a bad rap because it seems like they don't pay attention. Not that they're not paying attention. It's just a lot of different things are jumping into their head. They don't know how to focus on one little thing and 
it helped me tremendously because I could see things a little bit different. I have different views. I'm open to different views about different things. And it's a blessing in disguise. And I used it as a blessing instead of saying, I'm dyslexic, poor me, pity me. I didn't use it that way. It's not. No, it's a strength. It's a gift for me. And I use it as that. What suggestions do you have for other kids living out there with the dyslexia? Um, embrace it. That's my that's my thing. Embrace it. Understand. Don't hide it. Share it. Embrace it. But at the same time, know it's difficult. Know you're going to have challenges, and know what those challenges are. Understand that. Hey, I'm not good at spelling these words. So you have your dictate with you and say it into your phone now and help you spell it. Um, I'm not good with reading fast, and I can't read out loud. And then don't be embarrassed to read out loud because the more you do it, the confidence is going to build, and you're going to be able to accomplish. You may not be able to read as fast as everybody else, but at some point it's going to come because you have more confidence to do it. And I think the young, young kids now – are embarrassed and don't want to read out loud. Nobody wants to read out loud, even if you're not dyslexic. So it's not like it's it's just a dyslexic thing. It's just you just have more trouble with it. I think telling kids that, hey, embrace it. Have confidence in yourself, which everybody don't have, and it's just fortunate. It's something that you got to build with and grow with. I was fortunate enough that something was wrong with me, I didn't get diagnosed until my freshman year of college. So I, I put up with it all the way into my freshman year of college, and I learned to cope. I found ways to, to get my job done, and I knew something was wrong, but I just, you know, it, I just kept moving. I had the confidence to keep pushing forward, and that was to my benefit. So me going through it, most kids aren't like that. I get it. So that's, that's what I would tell them. Have the confidence, believe in yourself. And and own it, own it. I'm just like you. Don't got to go around saying I'm just like I'm just like this. But no, you you embrace it and say, hey, I have trouble with that. But give me some time and okay, and keep moving. How can you build that mindset? You can build it. I think I think going through when you go through certain things, when you go through tough times, you got to go through certain things in life to build that and. If you've never, if you've never gone through things, it's going to be tough to build it because everything was always easy. When it's always easy, you, you have nothing to grab on. You don't have any trouble, but yet you're not able. When you're getting stuck in a tough time, which you are, somebody at some point you're going to get stuck somewhere and you're going to have a hard time getting out of it. You got to learn how to fight and get out. And if you never went through anything and you never had that that downfall you're not going to be able to get out because you don't know how to. That's going to be your first experience. Once you go through it, through that experience, then you're going to learn how to get that mindset say, okay, I can make this. All right, it's okay. And that's how you learn. I've been going through that stuff since I was a kid. Just so happy the way I grew up, that I had no choice. And some people don't grow up in those scenarios, and you take the good with the bad. I didn't grow up in a fancy house with two parents and ate dinner every night at the same time. I didn't have that. But some people had that, but they didn't have that. I had to fend for myself. I had to learn how to grind. I had to learn to survive. I had to learn to live on my own. 
and do my own things. And other people didn't have that experience. So it's hand in hand. Was somebody's bad is somebody's good. Was somebody's good is somebody's bad. So you got to learn to deal with what you have and you got to put yourself in different scenarios. Now we will get into some rapid fire questions. Sure. What's your morning routine? Now or as a football player? You could do both. Okay, um, morning ritual. As a football player, it will be 4.30. I arrive, get ready to go work out at 5 o'clock. I'll be at the gym, and I'll be done by the, with the gym by 8.30. And then I come back home. I saw my kids off to school. And then I will spend the rest of the day getting ready for practice. That's about it. As a coach now, I pretty much do almost the same thing. I get up early in the morning, do a little workout, and then I go break down film. Um, I teach myself different things on film. Um, I look on YouTube, find different things to teach myself about O-line, D-lines, play. Um, then I get ready for guys coming in for meetings and things like that. So you're an early riser just like Richie Hall. <laughs> exactly. I am an early riser. That's why me and Richie Hall fit well together. What does the week before a game look like? Uh, week before, it's broken down to day one, day two, day threes. Um, if you get that opportunity, um, it's a lot of film prep, um, breaking down uh, the opponent, understanding what the opponent do, um, how they're going to get it done against the defense that you plan on running or the defense that you run for the last couple of weeks and how you think it's going to, how the outcome is going to be. And so um, that's your scenarios. And then you figure out what you're going to change, not change, leave it the same, and how you're going to explain it to the guys coming into the room. And once you get that done, you go through day one practice, which is totally normally a mess because guys are just coming back, don't really want to practice yet, and you're putting something new in. And you go through that day, watch film after practice, Decide if you want to keep what you put in, take it out, whatever. Go to your day two. Day two is more of a, you know, okay, we settled in. Guys are ready to practice, more padded day, and it's a physical day. And we start to run front and things like that and get in there and play. Um, and it's a clean day. You got your, your attitude right. You're like, okay, that was a great day. You feel good about it. And your day three is more of a taper off. You finalize different things, go over things that you haven't done um, yet, and you clean up. And day before is a nice, easy, cool walkthrough, fast walkthrough, and just easy. It's the day before the storm, and we rock and roll the next day of the game. What has been your best purchase that you've made under under $150? My best purchase, it would have to be um, some sticky things for your bathtub. Um, i explain in a minute. Like, so you don't slip on the tub, okay? Where this came, where this, where this came about, um, I was in Nebraska, University of Nebraska. We was about to play in the Orange Bowl and um, in Nebraska, and this 
November is cold, and we're prepping to go to Miami, Florida, where it's hot. So my coach, Tom Osborne, he says, hey, we're going to be outside, and it's cold. So I go to coach. I say, coach, my hands are kind of cold. I'm, you know, it's getting really cold on me. I'm having trouble. And he's like, hey, Baron, suck it up. You'll be all right. And soon as practice is over with, I shoot inside. I run. I went to use the bathroom. I stripped off all my clothes. I'm trying to get into the, the um, hot water. And then next thing you know, as I'm going to the bathroom, I'm naked. I pass out. I'm on the ground. When I wake up, they're dragging me to the training room, butt naked through the whole place. And so the story came out that I slipped in the shower, and that's how I fell. I, I, I fell in the shower, so all the fans started sending me little sticky things for the shower. And I actually use them in the shower because they're actually pretty good. So now once I grew up and I got a little bit older, now I started buying uh, little sticky things for the, for the shower. That's, what, that's why that came about. So that's probably one of my best purchases. So I don't sleep anymore. Do you have a favorite movie or documentary? Um, I love. I got it's so many. I don't. I oh, my favorite movie happened to be Lion King because my daughter made me watch it forever as a little kid. I watched it over and over and over again. It's actually pretty cool. And most movies I watch. I watch the plot. I watch the struggles. I watch the, what you're talking about. How do you learn that mindset of grinding? And that's what I watch. I watch what they're going through, how it applies to me, how it applies to my kids, how it applies to my life. Every movie I do watch, I find it. Um, the best one um, I would say watch is, um, what is it called? It's called Something Mile, um, Four Minute Mile. I watched that. I made my kids watch it, and I loved it. I loved it. The four-minute, I think it's the four-minute mile. Four-minute mile, the guy was running the mile, and he ran so hard it meant something to him that he passed out. He ran so hard he passed out before he finished, and that's how bad he wanted to run under a four-minute mile. And I got had my kids watch it. And it, it was it was an awesome movie, just because of what he was going through. And most of the stuff I watch is, and I try to figure out the, the meanings behind it, what what's driving the person, and things like that. When you hear the word success, who do you think about? Um, when I hear success, I think about my mom. Really, I think about my mom because she raised four boys by herself. And we turned out very well. In in New Jersey, she worked two jobs. Um, I, I I don't know a more successful person. She's not wealthy, and she don't have tons of money, but she loves us, and she provided for us, and she had us on the right track. And for four boys to come out of New Jersey under a single mom, that's that's tremendous. And I take my hat off to her. So if I hear success, that's that's uh, that's who I think about. Do you think you're a success? Do I think I'm 
successful. I, I think so. I think um, when my when my kids are grown and 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 doing what they're supposed to do, then I would say yeah. I said I, I was very successful then. I still got some ways to go because they're still you know on their journey right now. So I'm I'm working working to their success. I'm working for it. What has been your favorite memory in your football career? My favorite memory was um, I blocked the kick in Nebraska um, a Thursday night game, and I took it off the kicker's foot for a touchdown. I landed on it, caught it in my stomach, and it was for a touchdown. We was actually tied or losing. I think we were tied at the time. It was a tough game for us. And I blocked the kick, the go-ahead touchdown, and then we went on to to win the game handedly after that. Um, that was a Thursday night game. That was, yeah, that was that was a good highlight for me to be at Nebraska to play that game. That was that was a good highlight for me. I enjoyed that. I got some other ones, but I really like that one. Well, I want to thank you for your time, Baron. Where's the best place for people to get a hold of you? I have a Twitter account. Probably on Twitter is a good one, but I couldn't even tell you their address to be honest. But um, that's I'm not too much on social media. I, I'm I'm a quiet guy. I stay low key and out of the way. But um, if they can get a hold of me, it'll probably be probably in the Edmonton Eskimos office. Well, I hope we can stay in touch. Sure, sounds good. It was a great great job you did. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. No problem. All right. You take care.